Well, good evening. I uh, would like to ask you if you would kindly give me about 30 minutes, 35 of your time tonight, of your life uh, tonight, because no matter what you learn in life, nothing is as important as what I'm going to share with you tonight. Nothing. You can have more degrees than Fahrenheit, as I've heard said. You can have money coming out your ears. And none of that will last. But what we read that has happened on this day in the church calendar has implications that far exceed the lives of those that have come before us and our contemporaries and those who will come after us. Christianity is not theoretical. Christianity is not philosophical. Christianity is not some string of ideals or ideas that we have about God. If a man died, and if he rose again on his own power, and if he lives eternally, I would think and I would hope that you would agree that it would validate everything he ever said. Everything. And he said, speaking of Jesus, that he's preparing a home for those of us who know him and love him and have first accepted his love for us. And he said that there is a heaven, which is that home, and that there's also a hell. And he said that the response of our hearts, not collectively, not familially, not generationally, but individually, is what determines our destiny after this earth what we decide on this earth. He said that our time on earth is fleeting. It is but a what? A vapor. A mist when compared to eternity. That means eternity is a long time. Everybody say long time. Indeed it is. But why bother in believing in silly ideas like eternity if Jesus wasn't who he said that he was and if he didn't do what he said that he did? So on Good Friday each year, we take a deep look at the death of Jesus Christ. Is it true or isn't it? And everything else hangs in the balance. 
The first thing that I'd like to look at tonight is who was there? Who was there? Everybody say, who was there? Luke 23, verses 27 through 31 tells us in a most detailed account that on the way to Jesus' crucifixion, there was a big crowd of people. And women specifically, we will read, that were weeping after Jesus. Daughters of Jerusalem, he says, do not weep for me. Weep instead for yourselves and your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. In other words, they'll have suicidal thoughts. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What is going on here? Jesus is begging, is begging them, do not weep for me, even given the state that I'm in. Weep for those who've yet to trust in me for salvation. If you're visiting tonight and you have trusted In Jesus, wonderful. Friday will always be good. If you're visiting tonight and you've yet to trust in Jesus, you'll soon hear told of his brutal death. And he's saying here, right away, listen, what you'll see me suffer is is less Worse than what you'll suffer if you don't trust in me. You think it's bad for me. You think three hours in excruciating pain was rough for me. Just imagine what you will suffer if you don't belong to the family of God. That's what he's saying on his way to the cross to those who are crying. Sincere Christians who love Jesus around the world this weekend are pleading prayerfully with Jesus for new people to meet Jesus. We are to believe in Jesus, to accept Jesus, People who may even be thought of as great neighbors and kind and loyal and moral, the shirt off the back types, even religious types, that they'll realize that no good deed, no good deed whatsoever will earn a ticket into heaven, will grant one eternal life apart from the one deed that Jesus did at Calvary that of laying his life down. And so we're pleading that you would move tonight past grieving for Jesus' condition. In fact, this year I'm going to forego a lot of Jesus' condition in order to make what I believe to be the, the bigger, greater point in the scriptures and grieve instead your position. 
individually. To not feel sorry for Christ, but to feel sorry for yourself, for your sin, for your need, for a Savior outside of yourself to rescue you. So there are a number of women weeping. There are also men there. Luke tells us in verse 26 of chapter 23. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And then in verses 32 through 49 of Luke's account, we read this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one to his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots or threw dice to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Of course, it was satirical in nature, its intent, although it was true and right and precise. And one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked the first criminal, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done absolutely nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the second thief did. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour around noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, that is, mourning, they're weeping. And all his acquaintances and the women who'd followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So there's women and they're wailing. 
and there's men, and they are responding in various ways, depending on who we're looking at. Those that do not believe, they aren't necessarily opposing Jesus. Some of them, their unbelief is of a more passive nature. Maybe this is you tonight. Maybe you, like some of these watching his crucifixion, you don't hate Jesus. You don't wish ill will against Jesus or even those who follow Jesus, but you don't also consider yourself to be a Christian. You're not a participant in the crucifixion. You're just an observer. You see yourself. You you watch. You're not a participant in the Christian faith, but you analyze. You may come to church now and then, but you have your own internal judgments in your heart of the pastor, of the institution, of the people that identify with the place. You wouldn't say anything publicly. You're not divisive or or rude. You're not against Jesus. You're just not for him. Be assured that many stood by at the death of Jesus Christ with the same thoughts that you have. They weren't against him, but they also weren't for him. They stood there at, at at the feet of the cross sitting on a proverbial fence while maintaining their own impartiality, while maintaining indifference. I could care less one way or the other. Is that, is that you tonight? Other men there, they're very active. They voice their disbelief. And the text gives us three examples of those who actively oppose the first is one of the sinners who hung beside Jesus. It's interesting, it's shocking, it's mind-blowing that in Isaiah 53, 12, 700 years before Jesus even walked on the earth, there was a prophecy that said that Jesus would be numbered among sinners in his death. How is it that 700 years before Jesus was born, someone would write about Jesus being put to death with the wicked? How is that possible? It's possible if God wrote the book. It's possible if the book is inspired. It's possible if there's someone above and beyond human history and time and the laws of nature. That's how it's possible. In fact, 25%, some say as much as of the Bible, is prophetic in nature, meaning it predicts and accurately so the future. It's mind-blowing. And in particular, the person and work of, of Jesus. So there he hangs, as predicted, crucified between thieves, and one of them is most active in his unbelief. The thief himself, dying brutally, somehow comes up with enough angry energy to also, while hanging, suspending from the cross, make fun of Jesus Christ. How did he do that? 
And he basically says, Jesus, son of God, I'm unimpressed with you. You don't appear to be a superstar. Because if you were really the Savior, what did he tell him? Save yourself. Save us too. Here we are. While you're at it, save me. Maybe you're here tonight and you picture Jesus as this man did. As one who's, who's failed you. Maybe you're just hanging on rather lifeless tonight. Maybe you're mocking Jesus under your breath. Maybe you're questioning him. Maybe you're saying, Jesus, where's the protection? Jesus, where's the provision? Jesus, where are all of your promises? Jesus, because I don't, I don't see them in my life. And, and if you are who you say you are, then intervene. I'm displeased with you, Jesus. I'm unimpressed. The other thief, by stark contrast, places his faith in Jesus Christ. He chastises the first guy, and then he says, hey, what are you doing? Don't you realize you're about to enter eternity? Like, stop it. And he turns to Jesus, and he says, remember me, please. When you go into your kingdom, see, the second thief knew Jesus was going to heaven. And Jesus looked right at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I asked a professor in Bible college, I said, how does this all work? Because Jesus said to the thief, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And we read elsewhere in the writings at Paul that we're going to meet him in the air. That believers are going to be the first to rise out of the ground. So where is, I don't know how all this works. I'm just going to be honest. But Jesus said it, didn't he? Today you will be with me in paradise. Whether that was a literal today or a figurative today, we don't know. But he said today. In other words, in your experience, buddy, it's going to be momentary. If you're new tonight, let me say this. And if you've been around a while. (laughs) Just like this thief you have until your last breath to accept Jesus Christ. Your last breath. You do. You can dilly-dally up until your last breath. You can. Many do. And you're right. Christianity is a narrow religion, and it teaches that there are not alternative paths to God. It teaches that it's only through believing in the literal death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that someone can enter. But Christianity is also the most inclusive religion that there has ever been, because Jesus welcomes everyone, including this guy, this thief, who repents. He welcomes all who believe. This guy never did anything good until his last breath. We often view the two as the good guy and the bad guy. They were both bad guys. The difference is before his last breath, he had a a repentant heart and wanted to change who he was. And he knew that that came only through Jesus Christ. There's not a single person in history 
that has trusted in Jesus for salvation and had the door shut in his or her face. Not a single one. Jesus saves all who believe. The second thief, like the first thief again, is is bad. Whole life doing evil. In the last breath, he believes. You too, you too, have until your very last breath. In addition to the sinner, there were the soldiers. They not only crucified him, they auctioned off his, his clothes. This means Jesus could have been entirely naked by the end of his cross-hanging experience. It was incredibly shameful for a grown man in this day to be naked as it is in our day. Golgotha, where Jesus died, was not the equivalent of the YMCA locker room where men strolled around proudly. Golgotha was the equivalent of a modern-day Target or Walmart Supercenter where people were coming by, everybody, men, women, children. It's a, it's a marketplace. The Romans were tough. The Romans were bullies. They did not defend the weak and oppressed. They humiliated them. And that's what's going on here with Jesus. He's being humiliated. They do something else further that we read earlier tonight. They give him sour wine. That's how the text uh, described it, sour wine. Some of the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, are, if, if you're unaware, uh, biographies of Jesus' life, each written by a different individual, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They share some of the same stories. Some of them have uh, different stories. John, in particular, is a bit of a different bird and shares stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not. He's the artistic one. He's the drummer in the group. Some of them add this information. They, they put a sponge on a, on a stick and they shoved it in Jesus' mouth. And I assure you, it w- was not for, for refreshment. In fact, people, poor people, in, in that day, I've, I've read at a centrally located facility that served multiple families, different parts of the village, would actually use their own hand in the restroom, in the public restroom, to clean themselves. After going to the restroom, there was no toilet paper. Then they would use gravity-fed water troughs to rinse off their hand. Those who were rich, the affluent, they didn't want to clean themselves So they would hire slaves, and the slaves would take a stick with a sponge on the end of it and an antiseptic called sour wine. And those that were not extraordinarily rich, not out of the ballpark rich, would even share this stick and this brush with other middle class to moderately affluent families. And, and this, this 
stick and this sponge, sometimes it was shared, was what they shoved in the mouth of God. This is the last taste on our Savior's lips when he died. If Jesus asked his dad in heaven to forgive men that shoved a toilet brush in his mouth, don't you think he'll forgive you and I? If he wasn't angry, if he wasn't spiteful, if he wasn't vengeful, if he wasn't even emotional, it appears, at the people who shoved a brush in his mouth, how, how many of you know that slow to anger is Jesus Christ with his kids? He loves you. He's patient with us. This means we don't need to live in shame. We don't need to live in, in guilt. We don't need, need to wallow in despair. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can and he does forgive. Amen? Amen. So third, a group was the scoffers. We read about them, the actively unbelieving. They're the ones, we won't spend much time here, but they in addition to the thief in particular who's belittling, berating Jesus, they ask questions like, what kind of king is this? He's homeless. He's broke. He's a 30-something-year-old virgin. Hail, king of the Jews! There were the scoffers, and then there were those who believed. First, Simon of Cyrene. Everybody say that with me. Simon of Cyrene. We read of a man tonight whose name was Simon. And as Jesus is carrying his cross, and at the end of his physical capabilities, it becomes too heavy. The cross is reassigned to a guy out of the crowd, a passerby. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself would later say, if you really are my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Simon was the very first person, not certainly the last person, but to do that in a very literal way. Jesus was saying, are you willing to follow me even unto death? If you are, pick up your cross and follow me. Leave everything behind. So Simon's in the crowd and he's told, carry that cross for Jesus. And you know what's amazing? After just a short time walking, we picture side by side with Jesus Christ In transit to watching Jesus be crucified, it is very, very likely that on the road, in the walk, Simon of Cyrene becomes a Christian. That he believes. He's confronted with the personhood of God. 
And, and moreover, I think his family was changed forever. What do you mean by all this? Is that how is this possible? Well, Cyrene is modern-day Libya. And according to Mark 15, 21, Simon had two boys named Levi and my, no, that's my boy, excuse me, Alexander and Rufus, also awesome names, Alexander and Rufus. And then when you read the end of Romans, it mentions that one of these boys is a leader in the early church. He's a leader in the early church. This may not have happened if their dad hadn't encountered Jesus, the living Jesus Christ, and watched him die brutally and then see him or hear of him being resurrected from death. His family's changed forever. Let me tell you this. If And when you come into contact with Jesus and you allow that to happen, it impacts more than just you. It can impact your family. Simon meets Jesus and he says, I want to be like him even if it means being murdered. And then the next generation of Simon's is leading the early church. So this decision that you'll have an opportunity to make tonight isn't just for you. It's for your kids. It's for your grandkids. You choose, in effect, not only your fate, but that of the next generations. He's a God of Abraham, but not only Abraham. Who? Isaac and Jacob, meaning not only Abraham, but his kids and his grandkids. Even more important than who will marry is who will worship. Who will you trust in tonight? And you may say, I I don't have uh, a God. You do. You look at him or her in the mirror every morning. It's you. If you don't have a God, your your God is you. Think about it. The highest authority in your life is who? Well, it's it's you. You trust in yourself. You judge yourself, but you cannot save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. So the key is to worship the right God. Then to marry somebody who worships the right God. That's also important. And then to raise children who know and love and serve that God. The choice is theirs to make. Heaven is a single file line. We don't get in by anybody else's coattails. But the influence is yours to have. So be a patriarch tonight. Be a matriarch tonight. Accept Jesus so that others might also choose him for generations. Second one, another one that comes to faith, that believes, we mentioned earlier, is the sinner, the thief hanging beside Jesus. One mocks him. The other one says, have you no fear in God? Do you not know who this is? This man, this Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then he says something that every New Christian says, every new Christian says, he says, I have done something wrong. 
I've sinned. Church, faith begins with an honest assessment of ourselves. I'm a sinner. It's something you cannot blame on your parents. It's something you cannot blame on uh, your personality type. It's something you, you cannot blame on your culture. It's yours to fess up to. Just like me, you are a sinner. You sin. We sin in our thoughts. Aren't you glad that other people cannot read our thoughts? We sin in our thoughts, in what we think. We sin in our words. Have you ever said or typed, hello, Facebook, something that you regretted? I typed something I regretted last week. I had to go back and say in front of the world or whoever was watching this conversation, I'm sorry, I was cheeky. We say things we regret. We type things we regret. What about our motives? Have you ever done even very good things in order to manipulate somebody else or a situation? To get attention? All of this is sinning by what we do. And then there's the way we sin in what we don't do. In who we don't help. and who we don't serve. Some of you think that if, if your pile of good stuff is this high, and if your pile of bad stuff is only this high, that you're going to get into heaven, God grades on a curve, it's going to go well for you. It is not how it works. It's not how it works. God does not have good people and bad people. That's not the two categories. The two categories are perfect and imperfect. And there's one individual in this category, and everybody and their brother and sister is in this category over here. This is mankind. This is God. The key is to acknowledge, I am among those who have broken God's law. And therefore, I am among those who have broken God's heart. And now that I know that the Father is good and that the Father is, is perfect over here, and that the Father cares about me and sent his Son from that jar to this jar, I'm going to respond by acknowledging my own weakness and accepting him for salvation. I'm going to trust him to get me from here to there because I cannot get there by myself. When this man does that, this sinner, this thief, Jesus says, truly I say to you, which he says, by the way, more than 40, more than 40 times in John's gospel alone, what he means is, I'm telling the truth, please listen. I'm, I'm truly, truly, 
And what's the truth that he's saying to this thief? He's saying today, in a couple minutes from now, you'll be with me in paradise. Because you've acknowledged me before taking your last breath. Did you know that when you die, you'll be in paradise with Jesus if you believe? Did you know that? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Praise God, huh? Amen. This is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says to be absent from the body is to be present with who? To be present with the Lord, to be present with God. That's what we have to look forward to. And then the third person to have believed, this is so stinking cool, is the soldier. The soldier believed. We have reason to believe that Simon believed. We've seen that the thief, the sinner, believed. And you know who else did? Not just a soldier, but a special forces type of soldier. A dude of dudes. Somebody who had tats all over him. Muscles bouncing off in every direction. The rough around the edges type, the the, the type that delights in fighting other humans in cages. This is the kind of guy this was. He's in charge of a hundred soldiers. He, I'm sure, rolls his own cigarettes. And his job is to kill people. At this point in his life, I like to think of it as a retirement position. He's nearing retirement. They move him off the battlefield. They say, as a Roman, your job is to kill the bad guys. And so as a professional executioner, he's a state-sponsored. He has the endorsement of Rome. Kill man. Hit man. And as he watches Jesus die, as he watches Jesus die, Something in his hardened heart softens. And he breaks down and he becomes as a puddle and he surrenders his life to Jesus. He says publicly, this isn't just a mere man. He's God. This is the Lord. And he believes. I hope you've seen by now tonight that Christianity is for women. Christianity is for men. Christianity is for the disinterested. Christianity is for the diametrically opposed. Christianity is for passerbys. Christianity is for children. Christianity is for godless thieves. Christianity is for executioners. Christianity is for all people. It includes you. It includes every person here. His grace is available. It includes you tonight. I want to just give an invitation to somebody who would say, tonight's my night. I want to become a Christian. I want to trust in Jesus for the first time. I want to place my faith in him. Or maybe you're here tonight and you would say, I've done that. I've prayed the prayer. I've lived 
a very difficult life since this. I've, I've ran from God, and I just want to recommit my life to him tonight. I want to adore him. I want to worship him. I want to place him in the center. I want to focus on him. I want to bow to him as my Lord in everything that I do and the decisions I make. I'm no longer A1. I'm no longer top shelf. I submit to him again. Because I know he's got what's best for me. Is there anybody here who would boldly, who would, who, who would boldly, and, and I just, you know, there's a lot of churches and preachers, and we've done it here before on many, many, many occasions, and we bow our heads and people paint the fence and raise their, their hand. But I, I just want you to understand, like the people who believe in Jesus, they, they went ahead and got sawn in two, And we're boiled alive. And we're dismembered and thrown from high places. I mean, when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, I got to believe that he had something bigger in mind than doing this publicly in church. I mean, this is like a starting point, right? This is like, I want to believe in Jesus. Then he calls us to higher things. So is there anybody here tonight who would just say, I want to become a Christian tonight, right now? Just lift your hand boldly, courageously to receive Jesus. Or you've committed your heart to Jesus Christ, and you just want to publicly say, I'm with him again. I'm done going my own way. I just want to follow Jesus Christ. Anybody here at all? I want to trust in Jesus for salvation. I see a hand. Awesome. Praise God. Would you lift your hand again? Everybody look at the back of the room and see my friend Lenny, who just lifted his hand to trust in Jesus for salvation or to commit his life again to Jesus Christ. That is awesome. It's awesome. Praise God. Anybody else? You'll never see a more excitable crowd than this one. Well, you may. (laughs) We're Nordic. Anybody else following that word want to give their heart to Jesus tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Three at the back, will you guys raise your hands again? This is Stefan, Rachel, and John, all friends of mine, either believing, trusting in Christ for the first time, or recommitting their lives to him. Can we thank God along with the angels for what just happened in their heart and life? Amen. This is why it's a good Friday. Why is it good? 
A lot of bad things happen. Why is it good? It's because Jesus took our place for our sins. And in exchange for the death that we ought to have died, he gives us his life. And eternally so. Forever. Anybody else want to believe in Jesus tonight? Come on, we're on a roll. Anybody want to trust in Jesus? Awesome. This is Jason. Awesome. Praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. The scriptures say that the angels in heaven throw a party when a sinner becomes a saint. That they rejoice more in the lost one that's found than the 99 who never got lost to begin with. It's excitable when someone surrenders their life to Jesus. Anybody else? Come on, March Madness is over. The NBA playoffs have yet to grow serious. Like this is a great time to have nothing to do for the next two hours. Let's just keep this going. Anybody else want to trust in Jesus tonight for salvation? Anybody here? I'll give you just another moment. Well, here's what we'll do next. We're going to pray, and if either you've become a Christian um, or you committed your life to Christ tonight or you recommitted your life to Christ tonight, if you'll pray this prayer after me, um, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm asking you only to repeat what I say if you agree wholeheartedly with it, and it's your prayer too. And we're going to pray. And if you um, were a little too shy to raise your hand and you mean it in your heart, God will count it. There's nothing in the Bible about standing up or raising your hand in a public church experience, okay? So good news for you. Good Friday for you too. You can pray this prayer, meet Jesus. Nobody will know about it, okay? But I encourage you to tell somebody that's going to help you because you can't do it alone. You got to have other support in your life. Father, we love you. You're awesome. Thank you for sending the Son to earth, a broken place, to suffer, to brutally die, and to rise again for me. I am a sinner. I fall short. I've done wrong. I've not done right. And I need a rescuer. I need a Savior, and the Savior is you. And I trust that you're preparing a home for me. I believe in your literal death, your literal resurrection, and that you're alive today, and that you're my friend, and you love me. And now I love you. Thank you for inviting me into your family. Thank you for adopting me. And I look forward to meeting the second thief and you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.